Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani. Welcome to another week, folks. Paul, how's it going? It's going pretty well. It really does feel like fall now. We're in New York City and it's definitely cooled off a bit. I feel like this was one of the hottest summers around and I'm glad that things have cooled off. Maybe it was just Bad Bunny heating things up. I'm just excited to wear a jacket, man. I like jacket weather, especially in New York. If you go out for the day and it's blistering hot and you only have pockets and you, you don't have anything to put your stuff in, you're gone all day. Oh, yeah. I'm a jacket guy. Give me a jacket. I'll put everything in my jacket, roam around. Have you ever considered like a man purse? Um, No. No, neither have I. <laughs> I mean, I just can't. Get, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. But like, I'll probably forget it. That's my thing. I'll take it off and forget it somewhere. I do have a little um, clip for my AirPods. That's okay. Because sometimes my pockets get too full. Yeah. But yes, here's the thing. Not that this is a climate podcast, but I think spring and fall are too short in New yeah, York. Yeah, 100%. It seems, it seems like summer is like five months. <laughs> spring is like three weeks. When, yeah, winter fall is like, is like three weeks. Months. And then it's winter. <laughs> yes. I mean, winter's not as bad as summer. No, I mean, dude, the winter does get pretty it can get bad it can get bad but i would i'd rather winter than i just feel like the summer is just i'm sweating all the time yeah there's something about like you take a shower you work out you take a shower you put your clothes on you walk to the subway you get in the subway and you're just like drenched yeah and the subway platforms i mean it's like they're brutal 20 degrees hotter yeah so i'm glad that we don't have to deal with that anymore hopefully it sticks around this like 60s 70s weather into the 50s. I love that weather. All right. Well, let's get to it. Just to make a quick announcement, October 5th, we'll be doing an in-person live episode for those in New York City, members of Sabani, where I'll be interviewing Tafik Rangwala about his number one bestseller in Canada, What We Lost. Hit Mesh up on Twitter or hit us up on Instagram at Better Call Paul the Podcast if you want more details on that. Exciting, man. Your first in-person interview pod. I know. First of hopefully many. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. So October 5th is that. Excited to show everyone that one. Other than that, Paul, I mean, there's some interesting topics this week, but some of the lighter stuff to get into it. Tom Hardy. I'm actually like a, a diehard. I'm a diehard Tom Hardy. For anything this guy does, I will watch it. I actually just rewatched The Drop over the weekend with my family, which is an amazing movie. James Gandolfini's last movie. Tom Hardy, incredible movie. This guy, not only is he an incredible actor... He is now a Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's a fighter. Yeah, he, he just won three tournaments in BJJ. He's a blue belt, won three competitions. What he was doing is basically bringing awareness for his charity that he works with, Reorg, which helps military veterans in the UK when they return home. And Hardy's whole thing is that Brazilian jiu-jitsu and you know, combat sports for him is a like great real mental health for him, which I can totally understand. And he's gotten really good at it. He actually, he might've gotten into it when he did the movie Warrior, um, where he played an MMA fighter, but now he's he's clearly good at it. I think he had probably done it, like 
in the warrior, he seemed like he knew what he was doing. Like he was shredded. Like, I don't think that was his first time in a ring, but I was thinking about that now because three tournaments in a month and he won them. Right. So it's like, he's not just someone that can act that like is in good shape. Like he can spar and I mean, he won three tournaments in a month. Yeah, that's pretty, it's pretty good. I mean, from what I remember about Warrior is that he actually was pretty new to combat sports, but I think he's just pretty athletic. He did look really good in it. And Joel Edgerton, who is his co-star in it, who plays his brother, he actually grew up doing karate and stuff. So like his technique was really good, but Tom Hardy had practice. But you hear this a lot about, I mean, a lot of famous people, they enjoy jujitsu. I mean, Anthony Bourdain was known to really love it. A lot of other actors, from what I've read, really enjoy Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I think it's a few things. One, it's like chess. It's like a mental game. There is a lot of mental health benefits for it in terms of, you know, you're focused on this activity. It's great physically. It's also you have to think about it. You're also not getting punched in the face. So you're not risking like concussions or anything like that, which is another reason why a lot of folks do it. And also, you could pretty much protect yourself in, in most scenarios. I've done a little bit of grappling here and there. I grew up doing like stand up stuff, but every year I think today might be the day I join a jujitsu gym. And now I'm looking at Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy does jujitsu. I think now I have to do jujitsu. To be clear, though, he was also Bane. Yeah. Right. And so he beat up Batman. I don't know if he was acting. Or if he was just being himself. The guy's I mean, a beast. He was pretty yoked for that. The guy's a beast. I mean, yeah. everything he does, he's just jacked and he's intimidating. He's just a great character actor, man. But like, even in Inception, he's not like intimidate. He, he just pulled it all together. He's a great actor. He I'm a hardcore fan as well. And it is inspiring. And I would say also physical fitness and mental health are actually really intertwined in a lot of ways. Like Totally. You know, he if he goes out and rolls for an hour or an hour and a half and like breaks the sweat, you know, like you said, it's demanding physically and mentally. And you emerge from that like stronger and like whatever stresses you have kind of like melt away in that arena. And I don't spar or anything like that, but I do think physical fitness, like running, weightlifting, things like that are important, like biking, swimming, all those. I mean, I know it's not particularly super fun to build that routine and to sort of wake up and do it consistently every day. But I do think it can have significant impacts on your mental health and good for him for supporting his charity. I'm on the board of two charities in in New York and it's really hard to raise money. So maybe I'll have to start joining some MMA clubs, (laughs) getting beat up for people to donate. I think the cool thing too was that someone said, Hey, it'd be, it'd be great if you came, you know, bring some awareness to this charity. He said he was going to come. Everyone's like, It's Tom Hardy. You know, he's like a major movie star. He's not going to show up and, you know, didn't make a fuss about it or anything. He had, he had put his name on the thing. So when they saw the who the people who were participating were, they saw Tom Hardy's name. They didn't tell the press or anything. And people had caught it. He, on he used his real name, right? Edward. Yeah. Ed, I think it's Edward. Edward, Edward is yeah. his real name. And he won, and I saw bits and pieces of it on TikTok, you know, and obviously this is like pretty high level. And then he put a post on his Instagram about the charity. So I like guys like this, man. They're like low key. They're not making a big deal. Like he doesn't seem like he's a movie movie star, even though he's massive. Yeah. You know, if we did like a better call Paul open spar, one of the first (laughs) rules would be like no fate. You can't hit the face. Absolutely. I would rather do like some sort of scripted wrestling than actually but, you know, that's why I'm not Tom Hardy. 
Well, yeah, I mean, if you're doing BJJ and you get choked out and you lose your Better Call Paul voice, it's over. So you can't risk that. Right. And I guess he didn't risk it because he didn't lose. No, he's, he's a killer. But maybe he had some close matches. I, I want to check it out. It's on TikTok. You can search it on TikTok and YouTube and you can see people have actually posted videos of him when he's tapping, getting the other guys tapping out. So good for Tom Hardy. Yeah, man. Big fan. Yeah. Let's take a quick break and come back in with a surprising video game leak. All right. So, Paul, one of the biggest game franchise in the world. Incredible game. It's a new game coming out. Rockstar's Grand Theft Auto 6, unfortunately, had some leaks after they were hacked, and it was all over the place. I actually saw them on TikTok. Big deal, because this is one of the most anticipated and expensive video games ever made. They're not happy about it at all. Um, What's going on there? So they're not, but like they're also not as crushed as you might think. For those that don't know, because this is kind of a new topic for Better Call Paul, so... I think we should say just generally, yes, you're right. Grand Theft Auto as a franchise is like one of the most lucrative video game franchises in the world. It's actually Grand Theft Auto 5, the current version, is the highest grossing single piece of entertainment content ever. It grossed $6 billion. It makes about $2.5 million a day on online. It sold 170 million copies. It came out in 2013, and it's literally like, It made as much money as all the Avengers movies combined, which is just insane. What's interesting about GTA V is that it came out in 2013. It wasn't really a multiplayer game back then. It was a single-player game. And now, you know, with the emergence of multiplayer, I didn't know that you could be... It's like a little metaverse on its own. There's all these people playing on there. They're constantly posting content. It's crazy. Some of the first metaverse companies were actually gaming companies like Roblox, Fortnite, GTA because they're creating these universes where you can exist. Now, granted, it's not necessarily seamless, but you have an avatar. You can interact with millions of other people. And so the video game industry, just to take a step back, I think it's reported to be $180 billion a year. I mean, it's grown since the pandemic, but it was always big. Past 30 years, it's been just increasing like 10%, 11% a year. Yeah. So it's huge business. And I think in the US, the revenue was probably like 36 billion in 2021. China, I think, is the biggest market, but it's just a worldwide phenomenon. So GTA 6, the release date isn't announced. The game is not finished yet. And there was this hack. I guess there was a 17-year-old living in a suburb of London who was arrested, I guess, charged with two counts of breach of bail conditions and two counts of computer misuse. He's part of this hacking collective called Laspus. And apparently they, they recently hacked Uber They've hacked Microsoft, Cisco, Samsung, NVIDIA, ACA, Brazil's Ministry of Health. So they're like an aggressive group of hackers. Um, kind of like, what's that movie with um, Angelina Jolie? Was it Hacker? It was called Hackers. Yeah, Hackers. Yeah. So, I mean, they're like some clandestine organization of hackers. And apparently they got all this information from an internal Slack chat within Rockstar Games. Yeah. And this guy, Teapot Uber Hacker. And he dropped three gigs of data on GTA forums, uh, along with like 90 videos, some source code, some unfinished assets, and clips of the game. Obviously, the game was a couple years away from being released, so it's not done yet. And, you know, it's like 
when things are work in progress, they're obviously they're not going to look anywhere near as good as they do when they're finished. So some people were critical of it. But I think generally speaking, the impact could be somewhat minimal. A lot of press is kind of saying it's video game hacks historically haven't really been that bad. It increases fan interest. It's kind of like free marketing. Sure, the source code being leaked creates a security risk, and it's going to probably delay their development timelines. But it's not like a movie being released. The main thing here is that it just causes delays, probably because, okay, security breaches, we have to, you know, put other processes in place. But I saw the videos on TikTok. The fans were going nuts. Yeah. Look cool. Everyone was defending Rockstar. They're like, this is early. They're like yelling at each other. Like, this is super early. Like, this is not what it's going to look like. But they're like, by the way, this gameplay looks pretty sick. Like, the details were pretty sick. I was I was checking it out a bit. Yeah, Miami, right? Vice City. It looked, it looked cool. Characters are swimming and like using like boats. Dude, the details of this thing was okay. I haven't played video games in a while. I might just get a console specifically for this game, which is how I got GTA 5 in the first place. I was like, okay, I think I'm ready for a console again. Yeah. But I think that for Rockstar, sure. Now we all know that the, the game is coming out. We've seen proof of it. And the first female playable character. That's right. In their like 25-year history. Yeah, because I remember playing... Have you ever played the original Grand Theft Auto, which is the aerial view and you're in a car and you're just like running people over? Like that was the original one. No, I got into it in San Andreas. San Andreas was what took over the world for me. Yeah. See, it's funny because like I was in like early high school playing GTA 1, which is nothing like nowhere near, which I wish I could play now. It's still a cool game, but nowhere near the world that they've created here. But the interesting thing, I mean, TTWO, Take-Two Interactive, who owns Rockstar Games, the stock dipped 6%. All that is kind of meaningless. The, the market's been choppy anyways. It doesn't mean anything. A leak doesn't mean anything. I mean, that was also the day when the Fed raised interest yeah, rates three-quarters of a exactly. point, and you know, every stock fell. Every like stock. So I don't think anyone cares. I think for Rockstar, it's like, hey, cool. People think our game's sick. I doubt any of us are going to be disappointed by this game. But the question I have is that it's confidential information, if you hack a system like that, besides getting arrested for, you know, the charges, like what else could happen to these groups that hack you? This is a really concerning area of the law and every company in our global marketplace, like everyone has data, everyone has data centers, everyone uses servers. So there's really no one that's immune, like no company is immune to this risk and the legal regime is really evolving. I assume that if you had the money and you got sued for damage to someone's intellectual property or for infringing it or for misappropriating it, you would have to just sort of pay what those damages are. That would be sort of like astronomical if you're talking about like a data leak potentially. But in this case, we were just talking about how we don't think it'll actually impact Rockstar because it's probably not going to negatively impact sales. It may just increase the fan interest, although the, you know it's one of the most popular franchises of all time, and the release date hasn't yet been set. It's not like a movie where if like you were to sort of release 4K version of Avatar 2 right now, a couple months right, before it comes right. out, like that could really hurt ticket sales because it's not interactive, right? Like if, once you watch it, there's nothing more to do. But like a, a game, people are still going to want to play the game. If they see a couple clips of the game, that might just make them want to play it more. So there's a different utility there for games than there is necessarily for movies. Yeah, totally. But these sorts of things are really concerning for like executives and legal teams at companies 
because there's a whole incident response plan that you need to have in place. And you could have a lot of liability to your customers if their data was exposed. And if you're a vendor, like let's say there was a VFX house that was working and their servers got leaked, then you know there's contractual liability to the developer or whoever hired them. So it's like you really need to sort of get to the bottom, find the source of the leak, see if you can correct it, see what else was impacted very quickly, make your messaging plan, how to communicate that to those that were impacted. And a lot of times these hackers, they're not really traceable physically, right? So they may want to try to negotiate and sort of get paid ransom in terms of like in cryptocurrency or something. And there's even speculation that these hackers, Laspus, are trying to negotiate with Take-Two because they're saying, well, we have source code. We have, in addition to the right, videos that right. we leaked, we have source code. And you know that could potentially create security risks or other, you know, I guess, infringement in your game. It's interesting. We'll see whether how long this actually delays the process and uh, what happens to this group and what happens to the 17-year-old kid. In the meantime, GTA 6 looks pretty sick. Look forward to it coming out. So let's take a break, Paul, and then we'll get back with our main topic of the week, which is Mr. Adnan Syed being released from prison. All right, Paul. So one of the biggest stories of the week uh, might be one of the biggest stories of the year. Adnan Syed. Yeah, last week, Adnan Syed, who was convicted in 2000 for the murder of his ex-girlfriend, Heyman Lee, sentenced to life in prison plus 30 years. And actually that case was a subject of Serials for a Season, which is a podcast that brought this case to like literally 100 million people because there were a lot of sort of holes in the prosecution's case. The evidence was questionable at best, yet he was convicted of murder and sentenced to like a life sentence plus 30 years. He was released or his conviction was vacated because the prosecution basically filed a motion that the defense attorney signed on saying that new evidence had come to light that wasn't disclosed to the defense team at trial that would have impacted his defense. Basically, this is a whole microcosm of, you know, the U.S. criminal justice system and the fact that there's some implicit bias. You know, I'm not taking a position one way or another, but there are a lot of people and I've taken classes on this in law school that say the U.S. criminal justice system is is biased. People who are minorities yeah. and black people get disproportionately penalized, incriminated, thrown in jail. A lot of them are innocent. In this case, he had been appealing for like years and years. He appealed in 2013. He appealed in 2016. He appealed in 2019 and said like there was new evidence or his. In fact, he said that he had ineffective assistance of counsel because his original defense attorney at trial didn't even investigate his alibis. So he had a friend named Asia right. who said she was with him at the time that he allegedly committed this murder, and his defense attorney didn't even interview her. So that evidence wasn't brought up at trial. There was DNA evidence that was mishandled. The cell phone records that they used to make their case was also inconclusive and probably shouldn't have been admitted as evidence. And Basically, the state's, if you haven't heard Serial, the state's whole case came down to the testimony of one of his friends and I guess a dealer of his, uh, this guy named Jay Wilkes, who said, oh, Anand told me he was going to kill her. And then he did. And he drove. He asked me to meet, to meet him at Best Buy. And he, well, had he changed his story three times. Changed his story a couple of times. And he said he helped Adnan bury the body. And like the whole thing was speculative and 
in our justice system, at least what the Constitution says, is you're not supposed to convict someone or deprive right, them of right. their freedom unless you've proven it beyond a reasonable doubt. It's supposed to be a very high standard, meaning if there's any uncertainty or a reasonable person could think maybe there was a different explanation or a different killer, then you're not supposed to take this person's life away. Because the thing is, if you do convict someone who's innocent, not only is that bad for the justice system and its reliability and our faith in it, but it's like the killer's still out there, right? And then that person could potentially right. hurt other people. And so what this recent development, the reason he sort of appealed and then the state of Maryland kept saying, no, our case is rock solid or we're confident in the evidence, we're confident that justice was done. That all changed this week because his current lawyer, Erica Suter, went through the old files right. and found handwritten notes that the detectives had at the time, which indicated there were other suspects, other people who had expressed a motive or desire to kill her and had the opportunity to do so. And that evidence was never disclosed to his defense team. And that is what they call a Brady violation. And that's a 1963 Supreme Court case, Brady versus Maryland, that says if the state has evidence that could exonerate or exculpate or be favorable to the defendant and create some sort of doubt, then the state has a duty to disclose that. And the whole point of that is, is like we invest so much in our state's judicial system and in our police system. We give them a ton of resources, the power to subpoena, the power to conduct all these investigations. And it's not necessarily just to throw someone in jail. It's to do justice. It's to find the person that committed the crime. And so if in the course of their investigation, they find information that would exonerate the suspect, they're not supposed to just bury that right? Because it's going to make their case harder. It's they're supposed to disclose it because it's supposed to make their case more accurate. And in this case, that was material information that was never disclosed. And it leads to a Brady violation. And so he's out now. That doesn't mean he's necessarily innocent. He hasn't been cleared. But it would be, I think, a high bar to to try him again, right? Given that the trial was sort of flimsy to begin with. And he's already done 23 years in jail, right? And so it's like the best years of his life were kind of taken from him. I mean, it's not like these notes are not legit. I mean, these notes point out two new suspects, as he said, that both, in, in this case, since the murder, have had trouble with the law. One of them is in prison for sexual assault right now. Um, the names weren't given in the reports that I was reading. It's just unfortunate because like, when you start reading, you know, you're looking at the case, you're like, the detectives are a bit shady. The detectives have had issues with this it, it, before. It's not like the first case where they've like not perfectly presented materials. The prosecutors didn't share certain, in this case, these notes with the defense. It, it just sucks when you see that. Like the guy gets on a shaky case. He goes to jail for over 20 years. In 2014, when Serial covered this, it was a huge thing, right? A hundred million people. Right. Listen to Serial, and that was sort of in the nascent days of podcasting. Yeah, so Rabia Chaudhry was the woman who is a friend of Adnan who went to Serial, went to the producers, and presented this case. They didn't know about this at all. They're like, oh, this is interesting. Not enough evidence. Girlfriend was murdered. No one really knows what's happening here. And obviously then Serial had covered this case. Now, granted, Serial has been criticized for not presenting this case in the right manner, where they almost like 
Some people felt they were like pointing it more towards Adnan and didn't present it the best way. They didn't actually make any updates since all this other stuff has come out. I mean, HBO has covered this. Uh, I think it's a bit more pro Adnan. And a lot of people were criticizing Serial being like, you know, you didn't really do the job that you were asked to do, which Robbie was like, this person's been wrongfully accused. The system is at fault here. Present the system being at fault. And instead it became this like, he said, she said, high school drama that was almost presented. Right. Now, granted, Serial did make this, like to your, you said, 100 million people. The, the the podcast has been downloaded over 300 million times. I mean, yes, without Serial, we would not know about this case. And they raised questions about the case, right? Like whether or not they yes. made it as favorable to Adnan as, as possible or as even reasonably possible. They did raise a lot of questions about the case and the fact that Jay told us you know, his story changed so many times and there was no actual physical evidence and no one could pinpoint where he was in the 21 minutes where she was sort of like the critical 21 minutes after school when she was killed, right? So I listened to Serial and I had significant doubts about whether he actually was the killer. And I don't know if I would have had more doubt or, or less doubt if it was presented in a different way, but I think it was reasonable doubt. And that's enough. Yeah. I remember being like, okay, this Jay guy is super shady. This doesn't make any sense. But then the way I was also like, well, I don't know if he didn't do it. I just don't think there's enough here. Right. But that's a reasonable doubt, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. But I was reading this article that's saying like, this is someone's life. And like, we're showing up at work or a party and we're being like, do you think he did it? Do you think Jay did it? And like, you know, it's, it's I mean, if it's 50, 50, that's not enough. If it's 51, 49, that's not enough. It's got to be like 95, 99. Yes, I, I, I agree. I agree. And the, the interesting thing was Rabia tweeted on September 16th because everyone's like, without cereal, you know, you owe it to cereal, you owe it to cereal. And she said, uh, and I quote, People keep telling me we wouldn't be here without cereal. True. But here's the best analogy I can come up with about it. Imagine you ask someone to help renovate your house. Instead, they set fire to it. The story about the fire brings thousands to your aid that rebuild the house. Cereal set fire to Adnan's story, to some extent deliberately, and has never apologized or made amends. Should I be grateful? I find it hard to be. But I am grateful to the thousands that responded to the fire to help rebuild this house. Interesting. I guess what they say, any publicity is good publicity, right? It's, it's kind of crazy. Like a podcast, a bunch of people coming together, media, and this person, you know, he's out. I mean, it happens all too often. That's the thing. I took this class at NYU called Capital Punishment Litigation. It was really eye-opening for me. The professor is Brian Stevenson, who founded the Equal Justice Initiative. And I don't know if you saw the Jamie Foxx movie, Mercy, but Jamie Foxx played my professor in the movie. And, you know, it's no like, way. cool. It, yeah, in that era, even in, to a lesser extent, but even now, it's still like there's so much implicit bias in the system I think we need an open dialogue about it. But yes, Anand Syed doesn't seem like he was the killer. But even so, you know, we just don't know. The case was not conclusive enough, in my view, to put him away. And that's 23 years, right? Lost. It's a shame. It is a shame. And, you know, that was the height of it was right before 9-11. I've read things about people are saying, well, it's Baltimore. Baltimore has uh, we've read more things about this with Baltimore and detectives. And obviously people are like, well, look at the wire. There have been advancements in sort of like DNA evidence technology and cell phone data technology and, and triangulation with cell phone towers. So the impacts like the technology they were using then right. has evolved. So it's not like they ignored 
really good evidence. I mean, the Brady stuff is very concerning, but it's just that DNA wasn't as precise 25 years ago or 22 years ago as it is now. And cell phone data wasn't as precise as it is now. So that doesn't mean that these issues won't continue to occur in the future, but it does mean that, you know, some of the, the technical shortcomings were not as egregious because the technology wasn't as good. But the fact that they had other suspects and didn't disclose information about it is really concerning. Yeah, and for, you know, for Heyman Lee and her family, it's it just sucks because it's like this is just still always in the forefront of their lives. Like, you know, they still don't know the truth about their daughter over 20 years later, and I can't imagine what it's like for them. We have a podcast, like the, the biggest podcast ever made about this. There's an HBO documentary. I wouldn't be surprised if a movie gets made, you know, similar to like the Night Of style, you know, that was an HBO series or maybe it's a series, maybe it's a movie. But I've got to imagine, you know, studios are looking at this like, hey, this content, this we should do something with this again. I mean, it, it's great that there's a lot of interest. I think the bigger picture should be like who else is out there that's being similarly put away for yeah. things they didn't do and how could we make the system more accurate yeah for sure well that's our show for this week everyone thanks for listening <laughs> i stole your line i stole your line you can do it <laughs> yeah it was like we ended on such a bummer and it's like all right guys see ya <laughs> i try i mean listen it's a it's a sad story yeah there's no winners here no no i mean i guess a non's a winner in this case right but 23 years locked up i know at the end of the day we want a justice system that we can count on. We want the truth. And and hopefully, we, to your point, we, we continue to move in that direction. So, Paul, good analysis as always. Take care, everyone. Make sure you're subscribed to us on the podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. Follow us on Instagram, Better Call Paul, the podcast. Follow me on Twitter, at Mesh Lacani. This episode is edited and produced by Valentino Rivera and Marco Seiler Gonzalez. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Take care.